there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. The volume. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on? Don't What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever, and alongside me is Logan Camden and Logan. The Denver Nuggets are your 2023 NBA champions. Just won a really thrilling Game 5, an absolute slog fest, the kind of physical, tense moment-to-moment basketball that you expect in a vintage NBA Finals game to secure their first title in franchise history. We have so much to get into today. Lots of big-picture conversations to be had, but let's start with this game. What was it that was so key to Denver coming out on top? I think it was their resilience, hustle, and effort, Carson. That's what really stood out to me overall. This is a really uncharacteristic Nuggets victory. That's what I think really stands out to me. Uh, This is courtesy of John Schumann, a great NBA.com writer. I encourage you guys to check him out on Twitter. Uh, The Nuggets had an offensive rating of 97.9 in this game. Not only is that historically low for a Nuggets team who has been the greatest uh, offensive team statistically in NBA history, uh, it's the lowest mark that any team in these playoffs this year have won with. Uh, it's the lowest offensive wow. rating of any team that won a game in these playoffs. It's crazy, 97.9. And you saw it at the start of this game uh, in the first half specifically. It's the worst shooting first half uh, in NBA Finals history in a single game. The Nuggets go 1 of 15. But it always felt like if the Nuggets kept pushing, if they kept sticking to their formula – if they kept getting these high-quality looks, because a lot of these were just wide-open three-pointers that the Nuggets were clanging, that they were going to push through, that they were going to break through that ceiling, that they were going to uh, course-correct. But when it came down to the wire, Carson, the thing that surprised me the most was that 
it was effort and energy that got this team the win. I mean, you think about the crucial moments here at the end of the game. First, I want to give props to Michael Malone for pulling Michael Porter Jr. out, for putting Bruce Brown in because he comes up with that crucial offensive rebound late in this game, gets the uh, key second chance points. And then they end up, KCP comes up with that massive steal that puts this game on ice. You know, he goes to the line a couple of times. But that's what stuck out to me, man, was that it was so uncharacteristic of the Nuggets. They don't have a great shooting performance. The offense really failed to get in rhythm throughout this game. You know, you have your moments. The Nuggets are cutting great, but it's not a classic Nuggets game where everything is going right. It's a grimy game. It's a really physical one. And they played really hard. They were super engaged. They gave a lot of effort. And it comes down to the hustle plays in this game. This is no shade at Miami, too, because I want to give them a lot of props. They played a super physical, super hard game. They were not going out without a fight. They dominated on the glass. They won a lot of the effort and energy plays. But at the end of this game, the two biggest effort and hustle plays in this one, the Bruce Brown offensive board with the putback and KCP coming up with the game's biggest steal. That's surprising, man, when uh, everything on offense isn't clicking, when Jamal is off, when Jokic is your only constant. This team steps up. They play great defense. They give a lot of effort. They give a lot of energy. And that's what ends up getting the Nuggets uh, a win in one of the grimiest games I think I've ever mm-hmm. watched, man. This is one of the just, yeah, a slog fest is right, dude. This was a, this was an absolute war. It was, and I think that you're right to start with the level of effort that we saw from this Nuggets team, but really the defensive level that they reached overall. We've been talking about this as a historically great offense led by a historically great offensive player. And both of those things are absolutely true. And they're the reason the Nuggets were in this position. But I think what has been at times understated is the level that they've been able to reach defensively in this playoff run. A top five playoff defense and in big spots have consistently been able to dial in and really make the opposition work. And in this game, you have so many moments. First of all, I just think this Denver defense collectively might have the best hands of any unit that I can think of. KCP, first of all, incredible transition defense throughout these playoffs. Such great effort. He has that one moment in this one where he chases down Jimmy in a full sprint and strips him. He had a few of those in this series, but he ends up with three blocks and two steals in this game. Aaron Gordon, two steals and a block. Bruce Brown consistently throughout this series made tons of impact plays with his hands. And then Nikola Jokic as well only registers one block on the stat sheet in this game, but I thought affected so many plays with his hands and did so throughout this series. But crucially, Logan, I thought getting stops and particularly forcing turnovers in that third quarter stretch enabled the Nuggets to get out into transition, which was key. They only score 94 points in this game, 21 of them come in transition, which is a really large percentage for this team. And I thought that was super important in a game where things were consistently mucked up in the half court, very physical defense for Miami. At times, the Nuggets struggled to get Jokic the ball against that zone, and Jamal Murray really struggled as a decision maker. Everybody was struggling to make shots, right? So the best thing you can do is try to get out and run and attack with an advantage, And that's what they did. And their defense was absolutely crucial to that. But bottom line, they were just dialed in in every way. I thought they were so impressively attached off ball to all of Miami's shooters. They did not get easy looks out of handoffs. They did not get easy looks out of any of those delay actions. And they didn't get easy catch and shoot opportunities. Like it felt as though 
every Miami look in this game was contested. And sure, they have limited personnel in terms of shot creation. We know that. But they've been able to turn out a very high-quality offense because of their lethal shooting ceiling and the production that they've gotten from Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo at the top at times. And I thought that on top of their shooting woes and struggles creating quality looks from the perimeter, Miami had a tough go attacking the paint in this one. And I think Nikola Jokic deserves a lot of credit there, man. I think the last three games that he's played defensively have been really quite impressive. And I just thought he did a great job of consuming space and of causing guys to second guess looks or at least taking away the restricted area where sure Bam can kill you with his skill touch shot making in the first half but we know that's erratic he's 41% from that 8 to 16 foot range in these playoffs so we'll have moments where it's like oh my god we can't concede these to him but there will also be moments where you say hey it's a hell of a lot better than a look at the rim and maybe he's going to clang them and so Bam goes from this dominant first half where he has 18 points and is basically a non-factor offensively in the second half Jimmy Butler also, really struggled to impose himself as a downhill rim-pressuring force in this series and in this game. And there's one particular moment, Logan, where Jimmy, on that turnover that basically sealed this game, gets deep position against Jamal. And I do think part of the reason maybe that he second-guessed this is the nagging ankle injury that he's dealing with, not fully trusting himself to explode in that spot. But Nikola Jokic is there, and you got to think that's a disincentive, and it ends up leading to a costly turnover and a bad decision by Jimmy. So I just thought that was super impressive. But on the other side of the ball, there's one guy who deserves the lion's share of the credit, and that is Nikola Jokic, because this game came down to his ability to manufacture quality shots consistently when nobody else on the floor could. And that's what we've said about him over and over and over again. And it's what makes him one of the truly great offensive players ever. I believe among the handful of highest offensive peaks that we've ever seen. You cannot take him away. And even in this game where I felt like he created some quality shots for his teammates that they weren't able to hit. And so he doesn't maximize his playmaking impact. And even when they're making Denver work to get him the ball against that zone, they were able to get it to him enough in the home stretch. And he is just an unstoppable paint force because he's 285 pounds with an incredible understanding of leverage and positioning, an incredible ability to handle the ball in traffic against any level of pressure. And he is the greatest touch shot maker that I have ever seen. And that's what it was over and over again in this game, Logan, him working one-on-one, -on -one, everybody's a mismatch, right? In that zone, he was getting matched up with wings and guards more than usual, but even Bam, dude, they just can't stop him in single coverage. These are not easy shots. These are running floaters, and these are turnarounds, and these are hooks over and over again, and he just doesn't miss them. 12 of 16 in this game for his 28 points. It just made all the difference. And that's why I do feel like he's the best scorer alive right now. Because if you compare him to Kevin Durant, I saw a stat today. It was tweeted out by Hoop Venue, which is a good follow on Twitter. KD in the last two postseasons has attempted 1.4 shots at the rim per 75 possessions. We saw it in this playoff run against Denver. His tendency to settle for those pull-up looks. And at times, it's going to leave him and that's going to cost him. Even Steph Curry. I felt we saw in that Lakers series, he was able to control games, but as his perimeter shot wasn't extremely consistent, partly due to his body wearing down, he just wasn't able to maintain that maximum effectiveness as a scorer. Nikola Jokic 
walks through these playoffs with a wildly efficient 30 points per game without having an off night really since the Minnesota series. And that's why I've said that he has the highest floor in the NBA because of that physicality, because of that touch paint scoring. And of course, because of the variety of ways in which you can get him involved, right? In this one, a lot of it was finding him in that zone, letting him go to work out of the post, out of isolation, pick and roll at times, right? He's getting that look off of a Jamal Murray pick and roll action, but it's just, there's no taking him away. And this Heat team was as feisty as they come. Talent deficit and all, that is a tough team to beat because they exist to make you uncomfortable. And they got up in Jokic's skin, right? They did everything they could to affect him. And it just doesn't matter when a guy is going to hit those touch shots with 70% efficiency. It's a mark of a truly great player when everybody else on the floor is struggling to get a bucket and you are able to do so consistently. And along with that tremendous defensive effort, from the Nuggets, that was what won them the title in this game. 100%. And the thing that I also think that makes Jokic stand out among all of those you know, all-time scorers that you list, specifically KD and Curry too, Jokic, like you said, can do it at all three levels, but he also has more open three-point looks because guys are going to concede him that shot because they don't want him to get downhill because it's too consistent. And I'll use an example from this game. I think we use the term like at will a little too loosely for a lot of guys, right? With Jokic, it really is at will because there was a stretch in the third quarter, like you pointed out. Oh, it was... I I just love watching Jokic, man. He's whipping these passes to both sides of the court on the corners, and MPJ is bricking. You know, you've got Christian Brown missing some. You've got Bruce Brown just missing shots. And for a lot of offenses, when you go through these lulls, when you're missing so many wide-open looks, it's like you can get a... I'll quote the movie The Replacements, uh, when Shade Falco uh, had that poor showing in the national title game. You can get trapped in quicksand, right, where you're just sinking, and you're sinking. And I think you saw it with the Suns in this playoff run, right, when D-Book and KD weren't hitting. They just sunk. Everything just completely collapsed. When none of his teammates were hitting, Jokic was able to go into the post Four straight possessions where he just backed down his man every single time. He got to the rack, and he got a bucket every single time. It broke the lull. It broke the bad streak that they were on. And that really is at will. When nothing else is going right, when you can't hit a shot, it's that easy for Jokic, and it's unstoppable. And I know, again, people are tired of hearing that term with Jokic, but I do think he's the best scorer on planet Earth, and I don't know who else you can point to that's close that can do it at all three levels that is this unstoppable and down the stretch like you said Carson Jamal does not have a great game in this one Michael Porter Jr. in this entire series seemingly couldn't have hit water if he was standing on a dock not a slight in MPJ I I really think he actually had a great uh, game five just defensively effort wise cutting rebounding everything else that wasn't shooting the basketball MPJ was great but nothing else was going right in this game and Jokic was on, even down the stretch, like you said, man, he hits that Sambor shuffle on Bam Adebayo, and that's such a, it's such a tough shot, but it's such a big one that they needed, where they are scrambling for a bucket, and Jokic is the ultimate scrambler, man, when nothing else is going right, he's going to pull through, and it has been, like you said, dude, guys have off nights, guys have bad games that we point to, Jokic really did not have one in a meaningful spot, in a meaningful game, and for the majority of these playoffs, like you said, man, had maybe one poor performance that you can point to where you were disappointed in him and he didn't 
uh, directly, you know, affect the outcome of the game. It's monumentally special, dude. And by the way, even on his off-shooting night of these playoffs, which there was really only one that was a legitimately, like, brutally efficient performance it was that game five against minnesota which as i've said time and again but it's worth reiterating he dominated on the glass 17 boards nine of them offensive dominated as a playmaker 12 assists and in the key stretch of the game had seven straight points for denver it's just remarkable and this is a game where the nuggets are disjointed offensively and outside of Jokic, Jamal Murray is making mistakes. Everybody feels nervous. Guys are missing free throws. They're one of 15 from three in the first half. And by the way, you're working against the officials to some extent too, because I thought Miami was allowed more physicality than Denver in this game, particularly in the first half. Second half, for the most part, it was just sort of a bloodbath and everything <laughs> goes. But you have Jimmy getting those three free throws, what I thought was an egregious call, right? It's just the combination of all these things working against you and just the unstoppable force that was Nikola Jokic throughout this entire playoff run is able to come through. So I think it's a top-tier playoff run in NBA history, and we're going to go into more detail with that later. But I want to talk about the Heat side of this because it was definitely a demonstration of... Uh, some of their limitations. Mm -hmm. And I do think that we have to look at Jimmy Butler in this one because although he was able to get it going towards the end in that magical way that he is capable of, he was never able to really consistently create quality shots for his team. And I do understand that he's dealing with an injury, but in this series, he's under 22 a night, 41% from the field. It's just not the Jimmy Butler that we had become accustomed to. And he does have that crucial mistake down the stretch. I think you have to hold Bam accountable for his regression offensively in that second half. And uh, the Heat brought it defensively in this game. I mean, they were making life hell. There's no doubt about that. But I just think you reach a point where when you're relying so heavily on Kyle Lowry and Gabe Vincent, it's just a difficult <laughs> position to sustain through four rounds of an NBA playoff run. And they got up to this point by out-executing, by out-shooting, by out-smarting, team after team after team. But they weren't able to tonight, and obviously it's a do-or-die spot. They needed to win this game if they wanted to stay alive. But this was also the most winnable game of... The yeah. series, really. They got game two, but this was the one to take, and they just didn't have it. And I know that uh, I know that people were mad at us for pointing that out and pointing out the massive talent discrepancy, but it really did, man. As this game waned on, it just felt like that was the key difference maker in this one, is the limited shot creation. I mean, Mark Jackson said it as this thing's closing, and I think it was so funny. Because right as he says that, Kyle Lowry goes up for a jumper and gets absolutely stuffed. Um, it was just great comedic timing on that part. You know, Jimmy's got to step up, and then Kyle Lowry gets blocked. I think it was by Aaron Gordon. Yeah, man, th that's the key difference maker in this series, in this playoff run. And again, guys, that's why we stressed why this is such an improbable, amazing playoff run. When you were so star for creators, that's one thing that I didn't understand down the stretch Max Struess did not have a great game. I thought effort-wise, 
Yeah, you know, sure. I mean, I thought he played pretty good defense. I thought he was really active, but I would have rather the Heat have turned to Duncan Robinson, who concretely was better in this series, who concretely was better in this game, I thought. Had some big layups, had some big shots, was uh, decision-making. Well, it was just more of a threat. I mean, you think about that uh, that inbounds play where they kick it inside right back to D-Rob, and it always feels when Duncan Robinson... I don't know why, when he shoots a corner three, I'm like, oh, it's, it's in. It doesn't matter. And it's such a rainbow shot. I always think it looks like it's going to airball, and then it's just absolute bottoms. I just think D-Rob was a better option to go to down the stretch. I know Tyler Hero has not played meaningful basketball in you know a mo- over a month, right? Maybe we need a little bit of him action. I mean, the Heat were really, really limited in the second half, and it was on full display. That's why you have Lowry and Vincent handling so much to no success. I do look at this, though, however, Carson, as a little bit of a stain on Jimmy Butler, and I know he's dealing with the ankle injury, but, you know, I would still take Jimmy Butler over Jason Tatum, right? I'm a guy who went to bat for Jimmy uh, in these playoffs. You know, I still think Jimmy's a guy that I want on my team, but... Jimmy's got to be better. He's just got to be a little more impactful. And I think, too, I'm glad the refs let them play a little more. When Jokic is in early foul trouble, man, I might attack him earlier in this game and try to get him in more trouble. I just thought Jimmy needed to be a little more uh, forceful as a shooter. Even on that last play, Carson, when he got deep into the paint on Jamal Murray, I thought, and maybe he slipped, maybe his ankle hurt and he didn't want to press and make that turnaround fade because he wasn't going to get enough uh, separation on it, and he could feel that. That's why he kicked out. I thought he got enough separation and should have gone up with that shot, right? I just thought that was the time. And then that shot at the end, man, when they're trailing by three, you don't need a three in that spot. There's enough time on the clock where you can go down the court, get a layup. Is a Nuggets team that was missing free throws all game. You go ahead and foul them. Maybe they cling another one, and it's a two-point ball game, or you can take a three and end up stealing this game, right? I thought he made some errors down the line and just had to be better, had to be more impactful in this series as a scorer for Miami to get it done. Like you said, 21.5, and 6.5, and 4.5 in this series on 41-37 splits. Not an abysmal series, but when you're this team's best offensive player and a genuine superstar, you need more. I know he's dealing with an injury. I won't be too critical of him, but this is a guy who's been a killer in the fourth quarter, and I know he had a, a couple big shots here to get them close, but... It was some poor execution by Jimmy, and you've just got to be better, man. I think you got to be more aggressive, and I think you got to take that shot at the end, man. I tell it, Jimmy telegraphed that pass to me, Carson. I could have stole that sitting on my couch, man. Like you just saw it coming the way he let it out there for him. So it was disappointing execution by Jimmy at the end, and Jimmy had to be great in this series for Miami to have a chance because of their limited offensive creation around him, and he ultimately wasn't. Totally agree with you. Jimmy. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Has to be held accountable. I have been a huge advocate of his. I am higher on him within the scope of NBA history than I think a whole lot of people because I think it's an incredible accomplishment to be clearly the best player on two teams that make the NBA Finals and in the last four years, three conference finalists when you're at a talent deficit really every time. And overall, in these three runs, he has played incredible basketball. But I agree with you. I thought throughout this series, he was too passive when it came to those mid-range elbow looks that were being conceded to him out of drop. I thought that he simply didn't reach the level as a shot maker on those looks that he needed to. He really struggled to finish around the rim in this game. So, I don't know if I would use the word black mark because I think it's so much more impressive that they got here to begin with than it is disappointing that he played at this level because I never thought the Heat were going to beat the Nuggets. You're right. They needed superhuman Jimmy. They did not get anything close to him. But the Milwaukee series was all-time stuff, man. And I think the totality of this run for him to go 27-6-6 on solid efficiency after last year he was every bit this impressive in the bubble run. Uh, He, especially in the finals, joined some special company in the scope of NBA history with his scoring and playmaking combination. I still think overall this is a great run for Jimmy's legacy, but absolutely a very disappointing finish. But bottom line, Denver is just way better than Miami, Logan. And that's what you and I have said consistently And I think they're the best champ that we've seen since the KD Warriors. If you look at their ranks compared to NBA champions since 2000, they have the number six playoff point differential per game, plus 8.3. They are one of just five teams to lose four games or fewer. That is a legitimately dominant run through the postseason. And they have the highest playoff offensive rating of any champion ever. So that's the primary reason. It's this monumentally great offense. Series to series, they post an offensive rating of 117 in the first round, 120 in the second round, 122 in the conference finals against what I thought was the best defense in the field. And then against this Heat team, 
hasn't updated to reflect this game, but it was 118 before this. So that is just truly in the highest ranks of offensive production that we've seen in NBA history. And it's so many different ways that they can attack you and kill you. They were the most efficient pick and roll offense. They were top three in post-up efficiency, spot-up efficiency, transition efficiency. They had the best paint force in these playoffs, Nikola Jokic, who also is the best playmaker in these playoffs. And alongside him, maybe the best shooting core. Even though that wasn't on display in the finals, you don't get spot-up combinations of KCPs and MPJs and Jamal's a great catch and shooter on top of what he does as a lethal pull-up jump shooter, which by the way, he was and a phenomenal number two throughout this run who ends up putting up basically 27 and seven and overall throughout this run displayed very high level playmaking today. I thought was an exception where he made a lot of dumb mistakes, but you have that top two offensive combination, best player alive, and a number two who was in a historic class. I mean, he finishes just below 27 points per game, but we mentioned the only duos to average 27 points per game in a title run in all of NBA history, Logan, is Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. Special company. And then you have one of the best rim finishers in the league in the supporting cast, Aaron Gordon, who is such a great complimentary piece, such an awesome target there. You have, I thought, the best sixth man in the field in Bruce Brown with a highly versatile impact. And so it was just this incredibly talented but incredibly symbiotic offense. And then they consistently defended very well. Like the number four defense in these playoffs, Logan. And I think that's the piece that made them so convincing because you can win a title without being a great defense. It is uncommon throughout the scope of NBA history. We talk about it normally being baseline criteria, top 10 defense, top 10 offense. There's only a couple teams outside of now the Nuggets that have won the title without being a top 10 regular season defense. And they were defending NBA champs who sort of just took their feet off the gas. It was the 0-1 Lakers and it was the 2018 Warriors. But this team reached a really high level defensively you can do it by just being monumentally great offensively. Like the Showtime Lakers, they were never a great defense. They didn't have a top five defense in the regular season in a single year that Magic and Kareem played together. And so maybe this Nuggets team could have won the title just based off their offensive brilliance and being slightly above average defensively. That is kind of what I thought their formula would be. But they ended up going above and beyond that. So I just think if you look at the track record, I mean, this team is to me, certainly better than the Warriors who won last year. All due respect to them, it's an incredible accomplishment. They just did not have this consistent quality of offense that the Nuggets did throughout this run, really with the exception of tonight. I mean, it was just a churning machine throughout. And they didn't just routinely walk by teams like this Nuggets squad did. The 2021 Bucks, I think, went seven against a depleted Nets team that they were really supposed to beat more convincingly with just half a series from Harden, half a series from Kyrie. And that really wasn't a great playoff offense. They struggled in terms of shooting. They were 11th in playoff offensive rating. And then the 2020 Lakers, I think, are close. I think that was a really good two-way team. And AD and LeBron were one of the great uh, tandems that we've ever seen in that postseason run. But I just think the Nuggets shooting ceiling, their offensive synergy, all that is way higher and I think that their supporting cast overall was better the 2019 Raptors really good defensive team 
strong supporting cast, top three player in the league in terms of Kawhi. But again, it's like they were number seven of 16 teams in playoff offensive rating. They just didn't have the paths to automatic high quality shots every night like Denver did throughout this run where even after tonight's brutal showing, they're multiple points ahead of second place. And so when you're able to reach a really high level defensively too, that's just a separator. So I referred to Denver as an upper echelon champ of this century last show. I think that's true. I think this was a dominant run and a great team. And that's what this game came down to too, is the unstoppable offense, right? Miami struggles to finish it off. The Nuggets just turn up the heat for lack of a better term and uh, put this thing to bed, right? I also think, Carson, you mentioned that this is an uncharacteristic team to win the title uh, in terms of defense. I also think we need to have a referendum, uh, NBA talking heads. Uh, the big knock on Nikola Jokic in these playoffs as a whole has been you're never going to be able to win a title with this big of a liability at your five spot. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that Jokic is a great defender, right? I'm not going to say that. Again, I think there are minimum requirements that you have to meet as a big man uh, to be a great center. You either have to be really versatile, save, you know, Bam Adebayo, or you have to be a straight-up really good rim protector, or you have to bring all that together in which you get Anthony Davis. And mind you guys, the Denver Nuggets swept the best defensive player on uh, planet Earth, probably mm-hmm. the best defense in the field, too, in those Lakers. But they get it done with Jokic at the five spot, and I thought he had a really great defensive run throughout. That's one of the biggest things to me, too, is that Jokic was not a great vertical athlete, never will be, was not a great, you know, uh, typical rim protector, but you see how Jimmy shies away from him. Guys didn't want to attack Jokic like that because it wasn't going to be successful. I thought he did a great job defending out of the pick and roll traditionally where uh, teams in the past had been able to pick on him in that regard. So I think... Jokic has made strides as a defensive big man. I think it's the best shape he's been in in his life, and I think those rumors should be put to bed too. Another final thing, though, Carson, that you touch on, and that's a big distinction that uh, I think we need to make about this team as a whole because I was at work the other night, and friend of the show, Michael Donahue, came up to me, and he said, you know, it really surprises me, Logan, that this Denver Nuggets team, uh, it's a weird champion, and teams are going to have to build more towards having great depth. And I think the Nuggets do have tremendous depth, right? I think they have really good depth in terms of great role players. The Bruce Mm -hmm. Browns of the world, the Christian Browns of the world. Jeff Green was good during this run, wasn't great. But you know the supporting pieces. Well, we don't need to get ahead of ourselves. Uncle Jeff had his moments. Shout out Uncle Jeff getting that chip. But I told Donnie, I said, well, Donnie, yeah, they do have a great supporting cast of role players. They have pretty good depth. But they also have one of the greatest players of all time. And that's where I don't Mm -hmm. want to get overzealous with this. Yes, the Nuggets do have a great supporting cast, but part of the reason why they are one of the greatest championship teams of all time, as you said, Carson, is well, because... that's not what I said. I said upper echelon of this century. I think you can put them in that group, but okay, in this century. We'll limit it to 2,000 because we're young kiddos. Uh, no, 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 no. Well, hold on. I know exactly how great every champion throughout NBA history is, Logan. They're not one Rank of the them great champions. Rank them all. Rank them all right now in order. Every single championship team ever. Yeah, we're not going to do that. I think the Nuggets, uh, the one of the biggest reasons why they are one of the best champs of this century is because of Nikola Jokic and his dominant standing. You point to that 2019 team, Carson, with Kevin Durant, who I think is, that version of Kevin Durant is one of the greatest scorers of all time, right? Had the most efficient 30-point-per-game playoff run of all time. 
We've been hyping up Jokic as a scorer these entire playoffs because it's his most underrated ability. Carson, Jokic had the second most efficient 30-point-per-game playoff run of any player to win a title behind 2019 KD. I think that speaks volumes, especially when you Hold compare on. this. Which season, KD? Because they didn't win in 2019. Oh, then that was Are the most efficient. Then Jokic no, then that's one? then that is the most efficient 30-point-per-game season of all time for a player to win a title. And there's other guys who are above him. Uh, Devin Booker this year, Kawhi uh, this year as well. Like, guys have been super efficient, but they don't either meet the minimum games requirement or they didn't win a title, right? 2018, LeBron is above him. Of all the players to win a title, Jokic has the most efficient 30-point-per-game playoff run of all of them. It's the seventh most efficient 30-point-per-game playoff run in NBA history. Like, it's... I got a bunch of numbers on this, man. I'll rattle them off. Uh, one of 12 players to average 30 points per game on 60% true shooting or higher. Minimum 10 points per game. He's one of three players to average 30 points and nine assists in a playoff run. Minimum 10 games. He's one of seven players, Carson, to average 30 and 13 in a playoff run. And give it to me, Carson. Two players have averaged 30, 13, and nine in a playoff run. Jokic is one of them. Who's the other one? Oh, it's either Oscar or LeBron. It's Oscar Robertson. Kaboom. It's truly remarkable stuff. 30, 13, 10, basically. Uh, it, it's closer to 9 after this game because the stats haven't updated. 54-47 splits. That's what I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. This is an, I think this is an all-time champion. It's one of the best champions of this century. And we deserve to give all of these role players a ton of credit, Carson. They deserve it. Jamal Murray deserves a ton of credit. Like you mentioned earlier, second most combined points per game of any championship duo in NBA history, save Kobe and Shaq, who had 60.3. Um, Jokic and Murray were at 58 point something. Big credit to those guys. But again, I don't want to lose focus of the big thing here. None of this happens without having one of the best players in all of the NBA. I think for my money, he's the best player in the NBA. Mm -hmm. None of this happens without Nikola Jokic, who is... One of the best NBA players of all time. I mean, every series he completely dominated. He destroyed every adjustment, right? Teams tried to go single coverage, and what did he do? He gave 53 to the Suns. He gave 41 to the Heat in this series with great efficiency. The Heat tried to go zone against him, their weapon that had worked against everybody else, and he was too big a target in the middle of that zone. He was too brutally dominant with his shot-making and all in all, he was just too surgical as a playmaker for you to send help. Any sort of conventional help, he was just going to absolutely destroy. So, it's incredible to me also the versatility throughout this playoff run, Logan. His efficiency by play type. 75th percentile isolation score. 98th percentile transition. 84th percentile roll man. 68th percentile post up while leading the playoffs and post-up points per game, 70th percentile spot up, 75th percentile off screen. We've talked about how incredibly dominant he is as the post score, the interior score. He's also one of 16 players ever to shoot 46% from deep in a playoff run with a minimum of 75 attempts. Like that is just one of the utterly absurd stats that emerges from one of the most absurd statistical runs that we've ever seen because Obviously, this guy just led the playoffs in total points, total rebounds, and total assists, which Logan has never been done in NBA history. All of this while, as you said, 
defending capably and at times well. I thought the finals was the highest level that he reached overall, but I think really you can't argue that Nikola Jokic was bad defensively in this run. I thought that he was fine. I'm not one of the people who goes and says that he's a very good defender because I do think there are matchups in which his athletic limitations are exploited. And I do think that the Heat were a good matchup because of their limitations athletically. But this is like one of the top eight playoff runs individually in NBA history to me. And we're going to do a full show actually just ranking this top 10 playoff runs of all time on Wednesday. So I don't want to go too in depth with this now, but I'll say this. I think what's indisputably above Jokic to me are 91 and 93 Jordan and 2012 and 2016 LeBron. I think with those guys, there's a level of two-way dominance and unstoppable scoring and really high-level playmaking that only the two greatest players in the history of this game possess, and that's them at their absolute best. Then I think the rest of the tier that Jokic is in is 94-95 Akeem, where you have the best scorer in the field, who was in the middle of a top three defensive peak ever, and who was consistently overcoming great teams without conventional title talent. He's the lone all-star in 1994, and then they bring in Clyde Drexler in 95, but those Rockets teams had to go through a lot of squads that had at least comparable talent to theirs, and Akeem consistently destroyed everybody who they came up against. Then you have 2003 Duncan, who uh, was the best version of himself as a scorer, rebounder, playmaker, and defender ever, and that team just shouldn't have been ready to win a title. Tony Parker wasn't ready, Monte Ginobili wasn't ready, and yet Duncan just willed them there. And then I think you have 2000 Shaq, which is up there for the most dominant finals performance ever and just peak unstoppable Shaq. Now, I think 2001 Shaq is very close. That was when the Lakers just dropped one game throughout their entire run. But I would actually lean towards putting Jokic above him because I think Kobe reached such an insane level in that run that Shaq didn't have to be far and away the best guy in the same way that he did the year prior. And I do think that matters, that necessity from your team every game. And then I think if you're talking strictly about offense, Jokic could be number one. It's just the fact that everybody else there is reaching a dominant defensive level. Shaq is the exception, but he's still at a higher level defensively at his peak than Jokic indisputably to me. But it's firmly tier one. It is historic, historic stuff. And... This makes me think of a conversation that a couple of our volume colleagues, Jason Timpf and Chris Mannix had, where Mannix basically said that Jokic's run couldn't be all time because they were never really challenged. They never really faced a peer, which I just totally disagree with. And I think is not accurate to how people have talked about these matchups throughout the playoffs, right? The Suns were favored to beat the Nuggets. There was a huge portion of people who were picking the Lakers to beat them because those teams were legitimately very good. Like the Nuggets knocked out arguably five of the top 10 players alive in this run. Logan, they beat Kevin Durant and Devin Booker on one team. And then they swept LeBron James and Anthony Davis with a very good supporting cast and maybe the best defensive core in the league. And then say what you want about Miami. They embarrassed Milwaukee. They embarrassed Boston. That is not coincidental. They were able to force everybody else to make mistakes that they just couldn't do with Denver. Denver was too good 
to be susceptible to Miami's voodoo magic. And that is an accomplishment in and of itself. So first things first, I do think the competition, it's not obviously in the top tier of difficult playoff runs ever, but it's legit. They beat two of the three best teams out West. There's not a lot of one seeds that have to do that. People can talk about seeding. That's a ridiculous way to view this season when the Suns and the Lakers completely change their rosters at the deadline. But I also disagree with the notion that like, you have to have your back against the wall in a run. You have to go seven or something to pull out like the ultimate beast that can be like LeBron in 2016 coming down from 3-1. I think several of the greatest runs ever are guys just mowing down everybody in front of them. 1991 Jordan, they lost two games. Nobody challenged them. And yeah, you can look at the competition and they played the Pistons who were actually two-time reigning champs, but had pretty significantly regressed that year. Lots of aging, Isaiah banged up, and then they have the Showtime Lakers, but that's also a completely different iteration, not the same caliber of those peak teams that you think of winning titles. 1983 Moses, right? I don't put in this tier one. I think it's a tier two run, but not because they eviscerated the competition just because he wasn't as great, but that's like remembered distinctly for the fact that they barely lost anybody. Same goes for like 2001 Shaq. So it just isn't accurate to me to say that you have to face like the utmost adversity to be unstoppably great because being unstoppable is probably going to mean that you're beating who's in front of you convincingly. And that's what they did. And of course there's adversity game to game. This game was the epitome of adversity. This was a rock fight. This was an incredibly difficult basketball game to win. And one dude stepped up and went out there and took it. And it's Nikola Jokic. So it's tier one. I don't think there's an argument it's tier one. And we'll figure out exactly where it falls within that tier on Wednesday. Well, not only Carson did they beat some of the best teams in the league. We ranked our best duos in the NBA too. And all three of the last, you know, three teams that yeah. the Nuggets conquered <laughs> were all in our best duos in the yeah. NBA, right? Like, Bam and Jimmy are up there. LeBron and AD are up there. KD and Devin Booker are up there. Like, wherever you rank them, these are some of the best duos in basketball. And like you said, man, I I was close to picking the Lakers. There was a bunch of money on the Lakers. That's what I'm saying. There was a bunch saying. of money on the Suns. I don't get where this is. And this is what I didn't want to do. I specifically asked you last show, Carson, what are people going to do to dispel Jokic's great run, all-time historic run, all-time finals performance? They're going to shit on the competition. This is the natural discourse because we don't want, we don't want to throw them up there. Off of that, because I think this is... I think they did face adversity, too. I think that's kind of asinine. I don't know. The biggest thing to me about that, Carson, that dispels any of that is something you said last show, and that was the fact that they have left zero doubt, right, that they have mm -hmm. convincingly beat all of these teams. Not only that, too, nobody else had been able to finish Miami. They had out-schemed everybody, too. One team did it convincingly. One team did it in five. It was Nikola Jokic and them. I want to ask you yep. something else on the big grand scheme of NBA history of all-time offensive players. Because you talk about all these great runs, I encourage you guys to tune in on Wednesday. We're also going to be doing a bunch more historical stuff, mm -hmm. uh, draft stuff coming up after uh, the Nerd Sesh content will continue coming. So I oh, encourage yeah. you guys to come back and check it out. But 
in the scope of all the players of all time, you talk about Jokic's versatility, right? Uh, all the different ways you can use him and how effective he is in all of those different types. You know, uh, isolation, uh, off spot ups, in the post, his mm-hmm. playmaking ability, all of his offensive versatility as a whole. Not looking at defense or all well-rounded games, who else is up there, in your opinion, with Jokic in terms of complete offensive versatility and dominance? Versatility? I mean, those are sort of two different questions, so I'll just go with who I I think the best ever offensively are. And I've said my Tier 1 before. It's Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird. I think because of how thoroughly unstoppable physically Jokic is, he has to be in the top four. And the just fact that he can be the best scorer on the planet, which is something that Magic, as great as he was, was not really capable of. He could be a top five scorer on the planet. And I think he's underrated for how much of a constant mismatch he was there. But it's not Jokic level. And I think that he has a playmaking advantage over Larry Bird, although he was a genius there, one of the best playmakers alive. So I think he's got to be in the top four. And I've talked about why I think he's a better scorer than Steph. I do think the way that Steph reshapes the defense with just the constant attention he demands off ball, the unprecedented level of spacing and his really high-level playmaking and being the greatest shooter of all time, like there's a reason that he's churned out so many all-time offenses But I think that Jokic also completely reshapes your defense and forces you to throw every trick that you have in the book at him and then still ultimately fail. So I think he's in the top four in terms of offensive peaks in NBA history. And we can take this one step further. I pondered his all-time ranking after this run. So I'll get into that because I think there are 12 guys who are still indisputably above Nikola Jokic right now. I'm not talking about peak. I'm talking about all-time considering the entirety of their careers for Jokic up to this point. MJ, LeBron, Kareem, Magic, Bird, Duncan, Steph, Wilt, Bill Russell, Shaq, Kobe, Akeem. I think if you put him above any of those guys, it is too soon and you are wrong. I firmly believe that KD still belongs above him. I just think the totality of his resume, I mean, to me, one of the three best scorers ever. Uh, And if you look at, 10-time first or second team All-NBA, one of the most efficient scorers ever, 7% true shooting, better than the league average, and his 2017 to 2021 playoff run, he gets the two rings, two finals MVPs, and he's 30 and a half, seven and a half, four and a half a night on 64% true shooting. He's done this for 15 years and is still you know, pretty darn close to as good as he's ever been. Maybe Jokic is better at his peak. I think... He probably is not by enough to outweigh the totality of that resume. And then after KD, I think it's kind of inarguable that his peak is higher than everybody else in NBA history, or almost at least. But I would still have Dr. J above him because of the totality of his resume. Nine-time first-team All-League, five of those in the NBA, four in the ABA. And 83 ring, he's not the best guy, but... Even with his spending five years in the NBA, in the ABA, he was the best player on three NBA finalists and an NBA MVP. And then his ABA years, two-time champ, three-time MVP. And I'm not going to pretend those accomplishments are equivalent to the NBA. But you look at 76. I mean, they beat a Nuggets team with David Thompson, Dan Issel, Bobby Jones, Ralph Simpson. Like, that's better than the Suns who were in the NBA finals. So I don't want to just pretend that 
you know, the ABA wasn't legitimate and that Dr. J wasn't clearly a top two player alive all the years that he was in that league. So again, it's the totality of the elite individual dominance and the team success that I don't think you can deny over a full career, whereas Jokic is only 28 right now. And then I would actually have Jerry West still above him. I think the nine finals appearances, 10-time first-team All-NBA, doesn't have an MVP, but four-time runner-up. And just one of the great playoff performers ever. Highly efficient, 29 points per game with elite playmaking and elite defense. Do I expect Jokic to pass those guys? Probably, but I've always viewed it as you have to rank a guy where if they retired today, where would you have them? You can't retroactively, to me, move somebody down behind people who are already done playing. So that's my top 15. But then I think number 16 is Jokic right now. I think this three-year peak is one of the absolute highest ever. Regular season is 26-12-9, true shooting. Last three playoff runs are 30-13-8 on 62% true shooting. And of course, this is one of the best finals runs ever. And maybe people will say, oh, it's overreactionary to have him this high because this is like the first great team that he's led. But I think it's important to remember that the last two years, Jokic led his teams to a 52-win pace without Jamal Murray on the floor and overwhelmingly without Michael Porter Jr. on the floor. He won a playoff series with Facundo Campazzo and Austin Rivers as his starting backcourt. He is one of the absolute best floor raisers ever. So now we've seen it. Without Forget elite talent, average talent. They were a below average basketball team in terms of talent last year. And he is still dragging them to 50 wins to the upper echelons of the league. That's a special ability. We've also seen now the ceiling raising, propelling them to a title. Unstoppable score and playmaker. Best post score alive. Lethal out of every offensive action. Dominant rebounder. There's just very few players who have ever reached this level of basketball. I think the lowest you can go with Jokic where I'm cool with it is 21. And I'll give you my next five. It's Oscar, KG. This isn't necessarily in order. Moses, Dirk, and Giannis, I think really comes down to personal preference because those are obviously the two active greats and very similar resumes, two-time MVPs, one great title run. Giannis has the depoy, but... I personally think Jokic's ability to churn out all-time great offenses is slightly more valuable, and I think his title run is slightly more impressive, and I just slightly prefer his skill set. And I've gone back and forth on who I've called the best player alive between these two over the last couple years, but it's like I said, I just value the ability to create constant great offense a bit more, and I think we saw that value shine through this year. So when it comes to the other guys, I just think, with the exception of Oscar, Jokic is single-handedly transforming you on one side of the ball at just a completely different level. And Oscar, I mean, he led six number one offenses in Cincinnati where he didn't have great teams, but he only won two playoff series as the best player on his team throughout his entire career. And was a clear number two when they won in Milwaukee, right? Not close to the peak version of himself. So when I think about what Jokic has already done as a floor raiser these last couple years with these depleted teams and like the winning in terms of significance almost equals what Oscar did over all those years, I think Jokic already has the edge. He has the more significant accomplishment being the best guy on a title team, the two MVPs, all that. 
KG, again, so great, but even with him being this all-time defensive talent, he didn't have that same singular impact. And part of that is just, I mean, the side of the ball that you're on, right? Jokic can dictate every possession. KD can't guard for four other guys, but Minnesota never really had a great defense. They never had a top five defense with KG. And of course he wins a title, but just such a talented team there. So I do not value his longevity and still very high peak, but I think clearly not as high as Jokic's more than what we just saw and what we've seen over these last three years. Moses, I think another guy who's not an elite defender, better than Jokic, sure, but just highly limited playmaker. So not the level of all around offensive player. And I think his peak really, not as long as a lot of these other guys, it's really 79 to 85. And he only made three conference finals as the best player on his team. One of those dragging a severely untalented Rockets team to the finals. But I just think Jokic's peak is higher by enough because of the totality of his impact offensively that I would take him. And then Dirk, it's almost too direct a comparison when I go down trait by trait and I say, okay, as scores, maybe they're equivalent. Like if we're being frankly nice to Dirk, I think Jokic is that level of absurd shot maker and jump shooter and skill out of the post while being a different level of physically imposing. I mean, he's more efficient and more productive already. He's a far more dominant rebounder and in a different stratosphere as a playmaker. And again, they've both achieved the pinnacle of their sport. Jokic did so in more impressive fashion. Maybe that'll upset some people. I just don't really see how it's arguable if you take nostalgia out of the picture. I mean, maybe you argue the difficulty of the run, the opposition, but Jokic is outscoring, outproducing Dirk there more efficiently. And again, like is unstoppable offensively because of his playmaking. So if you value longevity more, if you want to have any of those four guys, Oscar, KG, Moses, Dirk above Jokic, totally fine by me. We don't need to rush this. And Giannis, I think it comes down to personal preference. But I think if you go beyond that, I'm not really buying it. I think he has to be in that top 21 because it's just one of the highest peaks we've ever seen. Yeah, Moses also couldn't read or write, so I would give Nikola Jokic well, that edge too. Well, hold on too. now, Un- uh, um, uncalled for. Not well, no, that's just that's just because he went to school in Virginia. I get it, Moses. We're we are one. I understand. Um, I, you did mention Co- you did say Kobe, right? I, I just want to make sure. Of in those, course, in those, of okay. course. Okay, I didn't in the hear inarguable category top twelve. Okay, I just had to I just had to make sure he was in that upper echelon. I think it's good, man. I think there are other guys like. Who's in that next tier? Like, who's the who's the first legend? What is it like? Is it a guy who has a ring? Is it a guy who has hardware? Like, who's the first guy, in your opinion, that's a legend that's concretely behind Jokic? I think you're looking at the tier of, uh, like, Charles Barkley, Dwayne mm-hmm. Wade, maybe Carl Malone, David Robinson. It's those kind of guys. And I just think Jokic is concretely better than all of them. Yeah, and again, I think the big thing, like you said, man, is the floor raising, and I think that's why Jokic is... Jokic has the potential, yeah, to raise into the top 10 all time. He has the potential to... I honestly wonder, I think the limiting factor for Jokic is really himself and how much he wants out of this game. What I mean by that is uh, Jokic is in the best shape of his career, 
Um, you know, he's he, that may have been a concern in the past. I think Jokic can kind of go as long as he wants. He's not a incredibly vertical athlete where, you know, he's really dependent mm-hmm. on that, right? Where, I, you know, his game isn't predicated on flying through the air. So, I mean, if he loses what athleticism he has, you're kind of left with a really similar player. And then what I mean by that, too, is... I, I think Jokic loves the game of basketball. I think Jokic loves the game of basketball a lot. But mm-hmm. if he's super successful, you know, if Jokic rattles it off, and I, I know that a lot of people have had this take uh, through the NBA Finals. It's become a lot more of a popular take as we've gone through that this could be a dynasty or this could be a team that runs this league or something for the next couple years. I just wonder how much Jokic wants out of this game, man. Like, I know he loves the game, but I also think Jokic loves... Horses? I don't know, man. I uh, horses, yeah, he loves chilling. He loves mm-hmm. doing his own thing on the farm, man. And so I wonder if, I don't know, man. I wonder if Jokic gets a couple champ, a couple more championships, if he gets a couple more MVPs or something. If Jokic says, you know what, man, I'm I'm just gonna walk away and I'm gonna go post up back in Serbia for a little bit. But I think Jokic has as much room to grow um, as anybody. And I genuinely think that if he stays at this peak for uh, another couple years if he lines up a couple more rings on his fingers that you could be looking at, yeah, genuinely a, a guy that could crack the top 10 all time. And we're watching it right in front of our face, man. I think that is something that is wholeheartedly, um, definitely within reach. And uh, w- with his skill set, his abilities, this supporting cast, something that could happen in, in a couple years' time. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing to dive into because, first of all, this is just uh incredible team building accomplishment and we've touched on it before but when you think about the internal drafting mpj at 14 Jokic at 41 jamal at number seven that's incredible i mean even getting christian brown with a late first rounder this year a guy who came in and impacted finals games then the acquisitions getting aaron gordon for gary harris rj hampton in a 2025 first none of those are hurting you turning Monte Morris and Will Barton into KCP, getting Bruce Brown for $6.5 million a year. All of that is so impressive. And then I think this title run for Denver is a testament to continuity. This was a team that played together very consistently throughout the year, played together very well. True synergy. They have such complementary pieces who work so well together. Chemistry, culture, all those things are interrelated. And... IQ, it's a very, very smart basketball team over just stockpiling names, making the big splashy trade for a star. And you mentioned the potential for it to blossom into a dynasty or what have you. They potentially have their starting five under control through 2025. They have everybody through next year. KCP will then have a player option. The oldest core guy is KCP at 30, MPJ is 24, Jamal's 26, AG is 27, Jokic is 28. So they are in a really, really good position. Like Bruce Brown is the question mark because he has a player option. I would expect him to leave and go get a bag and Denver's not going to be able to pay him. But still, I mean, that is a great percentage of your core pieces to retain coming off of a dominant title run. But I also think it's a bit presumptuous to say that they're going to be the next dynasty. Just because I don't know that their talent advantage is overwhelming over the entirety of the field if they can figure some important things out. Like, I thought Milwaukee was going to win the title for most of this season, Logan. And I get that they're aging, and now they're going to have a coaching change. And 
they struggle at times to create consistent great half-court offense, but I still think that they're pretty darn close. I wouldn't be shocked if Boston was able to develop a Jason Tatum to a point where he's a good enough playmaker and consistent enough offensively to get this team over the hump with their incredible collection of talent. And if they can reach that defensive ceiling that we expect of them, right, then they're a team that could win a title. The Lakers are going to retool. The Warriors are going to potentially retool. Like, I just think we've seen five different champs in the last five years, and you could have made arguments for several of them, not really Toronto because Kawhi left, and LA is a tough one, aging and whatnot. But Milwaukee, you could have looked at and say, hey, they're going to spring into these next five years and win three titles. The Warriors come off of their title with a second round exit. It's just really hard to do this over and over again. Now, I think they are in the best position in the league to jump into something like that where they're actually dominating people. But I don't go into next year viewing them as an overwhelming favorite because I think there's a lot of great teams in the league potentially right now. And yeah, the Heat were not the best team theoretically that they could have drawn out of the East, right? I think that Milwaukee and Boston throwing their best punch would have been a better matchup. That's not to say that Miami didn't deserve to be there. I just think that's sort of an objective fact, but those teams are there and those teams will be back. So I just think the league is in a great spot. And I think there will be other contenders that emerge if it's through trade, if it's through internal development. But the Nuggets are in a great spot and they are absolutely a team that can potentially win multiple titles. And it's interesting because everybody is drawing the Spurs comparison for them. The throwback Spurs, just in terms of, I guess, being quote unquote boring, but getting it done. And I don't know if people see similarities between Duncan and Jokic as superstars in terms of personality, sure. But in terms of style, I really don't see it. It reminds me more of the ascent of the Warriors. Like, you have this jaw-dropping, one-of-a-kind superstar who is going to create a lead offense for you all the time, and then you have these great special supporting weapons, right? The Warriors had probably the second greatest shooter of all time. The Nuggets have Jamal Murray, this incredible all-around scorer, pull-up jump shooter, developing playmaker, the Warriors had Draymond Green, this all-time defender, multifaceted offensive playmaker. And the Nuggets, I feel like, have the collective strength of their supporting cast. MPJ being one of the great shooters of all time. Didn't show it in these finals, but an incredible off-ball weapon. Aaron Gordon, his defensive uh, impact in physicality, in position on the rim. And so... When you consider the youth of the core, that special all-time player offensively at the top, who is dazzling. I mean, if you still don't think Jokic is spectacular, I don't know what you're seeing. The shot making is unrivaled. The passes are unrivaled. And he makes it look routine, maybe, but it's an incredible product to watch. So, I think they're a great team. I think that they're in for some really, really great, and to me, some beautiful, fun years ahead because I love watching the Nuggets play let me ask you on the flip side of this the other team that we saw falter in this one what's next for Miami man do you think Miami has I, I mean one, again one of the most improbable runs of all time I want to preface yeah. that by saying like such an impressive run for Miami I know that people will 
now that Miami is lost and they've lost all their flair and they're cool that we're going to look back, oh, you know, they weren't that good of a title team, but just because that's what people naturally do. Is this something that Miami can replicate next season? Like, do you think that this team still has a... I mean, you're talking about aging teams. You know, Kyle Lowry's getting up there. Kevin Love. Yeah. These are imperative pieces to this title run. Not like they, you know, had a lot of talent again going into this one. I thought it was overwhelming. But what does their future hold? Do you think that this team maybe has another finals run in them? Uh, what's next for Miami? Well, I think they're in a tough spot because you mentioned how essential their core of role players has been. Max Struscape, Vincent, Kevin Love all expiring. They are not bringing those guys back on the sort of minimum deals that they had them on. So, yeah, you can praise Miami's internal development and their ability to spot talent where nobody else could and all that, and those situations apply to Struz and Vincent, and they got Love off the buyout market. So, yeah, maybe they can find another guy or two. I don't know that they're finding three who were as important in this playoff run. Not to say that all these guys were consistently great because they weren't, but they were certainly important depth pieces for Miami. So they have to find a way to supplement that depth. And then really, if they want to make a finals run, no, I don't think that this formula is replicable. I think it required too much unconscious shooting, 45% from deep in their wins over Milwaukee, 48% from deep in their wins over Boston. Too many errors on the part of their superior opponents, which yes, Miami forced, but also those teams, uh, I'm sure in any sort of rematch will be better prepared, better equipped to deal with those tactics that Miami throws at them. So the reports are they want to go star hunting. And if they can do that, then I think they could climb back. If they could do some version of Lowry Hero and a couple of firsts for Damian Lillard, if he ever becomes available, he says he wants to stay in Portland. He's talking about places where he could theoretically go, though. I don't know. He's the guy you have to point at. He said that if he were to go somewhere, it would be Miami when some dude on a podcast gave him a bunch of options. If you could do that, I absolutely would. Because I just think you need that extra level of offensive punch of reliable creation night to night to get you over the hump. Because, like, look at what happened in these last, not two series, but the second half of the Boston series in this one. They struggled to create consistent quality offense. And I think that they need to up their talent level if they want to be in these conversations again. So that's absolutely what I would look to do as currently constructed losing some of their depth pieces no i would not expect miami to be back here next year what do you think uh, there is uh, a guy in the g league right now that i like a lot um that miami is oh. developing oh uh, g league in camden thinks he's going to solve all their problems uh you guys should check out uh g league tv on uh, instagram they put out some good stuff covering the g league i love their content uh, Jamil Kane is probably going to be a rotational guy for the Heat next season. He's pretty good, uh, 6'7", kind of bouncy. Like, Haywood Highsmith and him are actually probably going to be rotational guys next season. I-, I do anticipate them losing it, but I think you're right, man. If you're Miami, that's the thing that we criticized most heavily is their shot creation. And if that is giving up Tyler Hero, if that is giving up Kyle Lowry, okay. You know, I mean, look, Kyle Lowry, I think, Kyle Lowry, you proved me really wrong in this playoff run, my friend. I said you were the limiting factor uh, for this team, that you were going to be the one that was going to let them down. I thought you had serious regression after last season. Uh, Lowry proved that 
through veteran craftiness, through clutch, through good decision making, mm-hmm. through playmaking, through tough shot making. He's still a very valuable asset to have. I still don't love his contract, but he's a very valuable asset. And I don't know if there's any other stars on the market, Carson. I mean, you take a look around the league, like, you know, I don't think Boston's going to do a deal for uh, Jalen Brown. I don't think Miami has the requisite uh, talent or the requisite pieces to make that deal happen. Bradley Beal is on one of the worst contracts in basketball history. Isn't in that same star tier, in my opinion. I think he's taken Mm -hmm. a real step back from that 31.6 assist a night guy that we saw a couple years ago. James Harden, I don't know, man. Getting up there in age has lost that burst. Like, I don't really think there's a ton of options. I think the guy in the window and the bell of the ball, the prom queen, so to speak, of this free agency class is Damian Lillard. And whoever lands him is going to take a real uptick, is going to drastically open their title window. It might be a title door to walk through uh, if they can add Lillard. I think he's got to be the guy that Miami and all these other teams in the offseason target because I just don't think, like I said, man, I don't think Beal's that guy. I don't think Harden's that guy. I don't think Miami has the assets to go after Jalen Brown. I don't know if he's that guy. So that's kind of their only shot, in my opinion, Carson. And I don't know, Heat fans may point at it. Look, Spoh's going to be great schematically. You've got something special with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Their talent development is elite. There are guys that they can just find and throw into the rotation just work, but there's levels to this, and I think there's a requisite talent level that Miami needs to reach before mm-hmm. I can confidently pick them. What do you think about this? I mean, I've heard that Chicago wants to blow it up. Is DeMar or Levine enough of a punch if you can keep, I don't know, you probably have to give up Hero in that deal too, or either of those guys enough of a punch up to, I don't know, give you a little more confidence in Miami? Levine intrigues me. I think that Jimmy and DeMar sort of have too many redundancies just with being primarily on-ball guys, not ideal floor spacers. Levine, you know, can be lethal off-ball because of his cutting and devastating spot-up shooting. I like Levine. I think in a better situation, he could shine a little bit more. I would definitely prefer Dame by a good bit, but I I would still take a big swing if I'm Miami. The other point guard who is already becoming available he's opted out officially is fred van vliet you could see about a sign and trade with him then the question becomes do we want to give up hero a long-term asset for an older guy who isn't approaching that like top 25 conversation van vliet's really good but he had a rough year you have to pay him a lot it's a little bit more dicey so i do think they should be aggressive trying to add a star but if it's down in that Van Vliet tier, then I don't think that it brings them up to being contenders. Levine, I would like that. I think it would be worth it, but it's not the same sort of ideal fit and it's not that same sort of top tier talent. So Miami, I think in spite of this incredible accomplishment has some real work to do, but I do just want to give them props because we doubted them every step of the way and they proved us wrong over and over again. Denver was too good. They couldn't do it, but it's really a special accomplishment. And I think, as you said, one of the most improbable finals runs in NBA history for Denver. I think it's more simple. I think you have the Bruce Brown situation. If he leaves, there's nothing you can really do about that. I think that you hope that Christian 
uh, Brown and Peyton Watson develop into a legit bench wing tandem, which I don't think is out of the question, right? There's athleticism there. There's shooting there. There's dog there. That could be a legit fine second unit there. And then I would still like for them to add a backup point guard and center. Because if you lose Bruce, then you're losing your backup point guard, who still isn't conventional in that role, but he's just Bruce to do everything. And they never had a backup center. Thomas Bryant obviously did not fill that role. Zeke Naji's not big enough to be a backup five. So I think when you're looking at the draft and when you're looking at trying to add minimum targets, it's going to be about the backup one and the backup five. And I think they will be a contender no matter what, because... This offense is pretty much unstoppable. This starting five is going to be the best in the league to me going into next year, and they're going to have the best player in the league, and they're going to have another top 20 player. But if you're not getting better, you're getting worse, as the saying goes, especially in today's NBA. And I do think it's important that they try to address some of those issues. Shout out DeAndre Jordan getting finals minutes, yeah, though, baby. Dude. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> It's not like Jordan was great. No, those are definitely their two biggest holes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know any specific targets because I think the centers in this year's class are all kind of raw. I don't really know if there's any, like, immediate impact guys that I think can play, like, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. We'll probably have to go find that guy in free agency. I also don't know if there's any guys off the bat where Denver's going to be selecting, you know, in the backup point guard role that they can go and find. But could you imagine – if they bring back Mason Plumley on the minimum, would he do it? Oh my God, that would be so sick. That'd be awesome. I mean, Mason Mason Plumley's an awesome backup five, right? And he just—I mean—he knows Denver. Actually, that kind of sucks for Mason, man. He spent a lot of years here yeah. in Denver and is doesn't end up getting the chip. That's tough, man. I uh, mean, I don't think you're getting him for the minimum. For what it's worth, he's he's pretty solid. But I mean, he could take a but he could take a pay cut to come back home and then. I really do hope Bruce Brown. I I hope Bruce Brown comes back to Denver because he's just such an awesome, awesome glue guy, man. It's such an imperative piece. He'll probably go get the bag somewhere else. He'll probably be a great role player for them too, just because that's I love that nickname for him, man. You know, we call him a Swiss Army knife, but Bruce do everything. It's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope Bruce Brown comes back. He's been such an imperative piece here, but I got a feeling that you know opportunities like this come around. You know, very. Very few, you know, and like you said, his value is never going to be higher than it is now. So probably go ahead and cash in is probably the right move. But I love Bruce Brown. And he's a key part of this, you know, a key part of this championship team. I don't know if they get this done without him, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's tough. Those are definitely their two biggest keys that they need to hone in on this uh, free agency. But regardless, like you said, this team is going to be in championship contention regardless of what they do with those bench spots. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I expect them to be super competitive. And right back here, maybe not in the finals, but real close, and uh, championship contenders again next season. And you're right. I mean, it would have been nice for them to have, like, a defensive rim-running center to turn to in non-Jokic minutes, but they won in spite of not having that guy. And Bruce Brown is in a traditional table-setting, half-court perimeter-shooting point guard. He's so good at so much but they were able to win. I do still have some concerns about the non-Jokic minutes Mm -hmm. long term, but they honestly held up quite well overall in the non-Jokic minutes in these playoffs. Tonight was a bit rough when he had that second foul early, but overall they definitely held their own. It's just not a great market. Obviously they don't have a lot of flexibility 
And in the draft, they don't have a first-round pick. They have that new one from OKC, so they'll pick 37th and 40th. We'll see what they can do with that. But no matter what, I think they're going to be firmly in that contention conversation. And they are retaining really as many of their core pieces as anybody in the league. So major shout-out to Denver, man. Major shout-out to Nikola Jokic, who just continues to climb the all-time rankings. And this is uh, a cool moment because I think back, Logan, to some some key stops in our Nerd Sesh journey. And the first YouTube video that I ever made two and a half years ago was about Nikola Jokic being the best offensive center ever. And now look at us here on the volume covering this entire playoff run, him having the crowning moment of his career Pretty cool stuff. So this has been so fun talking basketball with you guys. And like Logan said, I mean, the content is just going to keep coming. We've got draft stuff. We've got all-time stuff. We're going to do some fun trivia stuff throughout the summer. So we're still coming three times a week, and we hope you guys keep tuning in. If you enjoyed this, as always, please subscribe to the Volume YouTube page. You can also listen to the podcast across audio platforms. You can buy our merch now on the volume store that link is in our link tree across our social media bios get yourself a hat a hoodie uh nerd sesh flag a t-shirt whatever you're feeling pretty sweet i think very excited to have all that up and you can follow us across social media tiktok and instagram are at nerd sesh twitter is at nerd underscore sesh you can also join our discord to talk basketball football with us whenever you want that is also in our link tree so For the last time in these NBA playoffs, appreciate you guys, as always. Hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. I've been Carson Brever. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.